It's been a while since I preached. It was January, and um, time is super weird, yeah? Am I okay with the mic? Okay. Um, I don't even remember what was going on in January. Do you guys remember? I heard that. Wait, five years ago. You guys know what happened five years ago today? Royals. Royals. I got some Royals fan. I think the Royals won the World Series, right? It's so hard to remember. You guys, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl this year. Doesn't that seem like so long ago? The reason why time is weird, guys, is because we tend to be myopic. We tend to stay in the here and now because the here and now tends to be what's most important to us. And in crisis and in times like 2020, it's all we can do. It's really all we can do is today, right? And so um, what, I, what I hope to share with you today is some hope. Because hope is really, really the opposite of cynicism. And hope requires an understanding of time. It requires something that we can't see, something that's in the future, right? And that has to do with time. It's weird. And if we can't really remember the past or what's going on or have a vision for the future, then we tend to stay myopic. Now, I think it's important for us to understand myopic or the word myopia theory, so I brought in a a little snippet, an interview with Oprah and Malcolm Gladwell, if you're familiar with him. He always kind of, he tends to pull things out with his research and then um, get a bird's eye view of what's going on in culture. This new book called uh, Talking to Strangers is is a book about how we are missing each other in our culture today. So I'd like to go ahead and play that snippet for you. It, he's referring to the Stanford rape case, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. He doesn't go deep into this, but uh, campus rape is, is a problem, guys. And so he talks about binge drinking in this. I don't want you to focus too much on the binge drinking part about it because lots of things make us myopic. So you're going to hear about that. He's going to refer to it, but let's listen to what he's got to say. So this was the thing that was so revealing to me. Many of those who study alcohol no longer consider it an agent of disinhibition. I mean, I underline that because all of our lives we've been told it's disinhibition. Mm -hmm. Instead, you say they think of it as an agent of myopia. Mm -hmm. Tell us what you mean by that. So the old theory about alcohol was Malcolm gets drunk, and as Malcolm gets a little tipsy... What you see is the real Malcolm. Yeah. All of the constraint, yeah. the uptight Malcolm falls away, and you're seeing, like, the, my, you see my true self. We no longer believe that. That's nonsense. Instead, what's happening is a little more complicated. When you drink, what's happening is you're, you basically get dumber. Your cognitive faculties start to kind of shrink. And what happens when, that, when your cognitive faculties shrink, when you get dumber, is that you get myopic. Everything that is... Meaning you just focused on what's in yes. front of you. All that matters is you. Okay, yeah. if Ma- drunk Malcolm, all, I, all that matters is not just you in front of me, but all that matters is what's happening right at this very moment. Mm-hmm. So normally I don't do certain kinds of crazy things because I realize, oh, there'll be consequences. Half an hour later, I'll get in trouble. Or tomorrow I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh, my God, that was... That's why I behave the way I behave when I'm sober. When I'm drunk, all thought of tomorrow falls away. All thought of consequences falls away. And what matters is just here and now, 
person in front of me. Yeah. I am myopic. Yeah. And when you are myopic, you are not yourself, right? I thought another great example that you used, Malcolm, was that the drinking affects you differently depending on where you are. That if you're drinking and you're at a football game and everybody else is drinking, then it is euphoric and mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And if you are sitting alone at a bar and you're drinking alone, mm -hmm. that the alcohol has a completely different effect. Yes. So myopia theory says that whatever is your immediate circumstance is controlling the way you think and feel and behave. So if I'm drunk and in a wild and crazy party, I'm wild and crazy. Mm -hmm. If I'm drunk in a dark, quiet, deserted bar, I'm depressed. So you're at the mercy of your environment. Now, think about this. Interesting. You take, you take an 18-year-old yeah. who is full of hormones, who's immature, who doesn't have much experience with girls. You take him to a frat party. You get him two, two and a half times the legal limit of alcohol. So he's completely myopic. You crank up the music. You have all kinds of mayhem around him. First of all, he's no longer himself. And secondly, he is primed to do something incredibly stupid, if not criminal. It's sobering, right? Um, so I, I told you not to focus on the binge drinking part because the, the important part of this is myopia theory. Our view of time. Our view of the last five minutes. Okay? And what's happening here and now is hard. 2020 is difficult, guys. Um, the other thing that causes myopia theory is crisis and pain. Crisis and pain require us to cope in that one moment. It's something that God gave us. It is a good thing, okay, to be myopic at certain times. The problem with myopia theory is, is that it doesn't sustain us. It just gets us through that minute. And if we only live by myopia theory or only live in the last five minutes or that which is around us, then it makes us cynical. And it makes, because if all we can see around us is difficulty, especially in a year like this, then we become to, we get to build a muscle memory. You guys know what that is? Muscle memory for cynicism and depression and lacking in hope. So to see how time's connected to hope. Myopia theory causes us to hyper-focus on the here and now it's not sustainable for spiritual transformation. It's not sustainable for us as a culture to change. It makes us chronically stressed, chronically depressed, and chronically cynical. We need a new spiritual imagination. We need hope. Now, hope is a different word than positive, positivity, or optimism, it's entirely different, okay? Because optimism or blind optimism says, I don't want to hear about that. Just tell me about all the good stuff, right? I'm just going to focus on all the good stuff. And the problem with that is that we know there's bad stuff out there. We just know that even though we want to focus on that. It's also not incredibly sustainable, okay? It's still myopia theory. Myopia theory. 
Toxic positivity, same thing. Let's all just spin everything to the positive. Um, and it, actually, toxic positivity has some roots in the prosperity gospel, which says if you're healthy, you're wealthy and wise, then um, you must be a faithful person. We know that's not true. We know that faithful people have difficulties. So there's something in toxic positivity that doesn't honor someone's pain in crisis either. Okay, so hope is something entirely different. Christian hope does not pretend that everything is fine. It actually honors people's struggles and pain. And people here in this congregation at Lakeland and people in Lee Summit and people that we love and know are struggling. There's no way around that. There are people who've lost their jobs. I heard of um, a friend who lost her her job on Friday. Um, People are struggling financially. Some people have gotten sick with COVID. Some people have lost family members from COVID. Relationships, they've been broken. This doesn't even mention other illnesses that are going on that happen to go on regardless of COVID. Um, Maybe they didn't get in to see someone. So parents, I know this includes you, and I know you love your children, and they're just the joy of your life, and they woke up at the same time this morning, because guess what? Time doesn't matter to them. Yeah? So I know you're working hard, and there's there's no answers, right? How do I have my job and educate my child and get it all done. That was hard for moms and moms and dads in normal times. Now the pressure's more, right? And teachers, you educators, I love you. You're a part of my heart and I know you love your students. I just can't imagine what you're going through. I know you want to teach. I know you want to do well. I know you want to do a really good job. That there's just so many difficulties in doing that. And medical professionals, can you imagine if you're a medical professional, we're super grateful for you. And if you're a mental health professional, I really am grateful for you, <laughs> grateful for mine. But everyone is stretched beyond their limits. And we're actually doing well. You know, we're doing well. And most people are doing well, even given all these pressures. But think if you weren't doing well before this year started and these pressures added to it. And guess what? I haven't even mentioned the election. I didn't even say anything about that yet. There's clearly a stark political divide in our country and in our church. We can't just ignore that. That is something that is happening. This is a collective trauma and a collective crisis that we're all experiencing. And because we can be myopic, we can get through it, guys. We say, one day at a time, right? It'll be better later, okay? That's good. But if we wait till later to work on what's spiritually happening to us, then we'll miss it. We'll miss a point. We'll miss hope. We will just get through the day, and we won't even realize that we didn't use hope. This was this great resource that we had 
toward it, to us that we didn't use. And hope works differently than just waiting till the election's over. Because whatever divide that we had before the election is still going to be there after the election, right? Because that's what we valued. There's something we valued that made us so amped up about it. There's something that we thought was important and mattered. That's what made us amped up about it. And that's what is still going to be there regardless of who wins. We have to see the underlying tension in it all. So this year I've been doing Lexio Divina every day on Zoom, and there's a there's people of all walks of life in there. There's about six of us that read scripture every day. And um, this is my daily dose of hope. So I'm always going to tell you, go to scripture. I'm a pastor, right? Go to scripture, get in a small group. Do it, guys. Just do it. That's not the lesson here today, okay? That's what you need to do. But here's what hope needs from you is a little intentionality. Because both scripture and both your community even though they give you a daily dose of hope, are going to tell you that you have to work and be intentional at hope. Both scripture will tell you that things are hard. There's no perfect person in scripture except for Jesus and God. Everyone has a problem in there. And you're going to read it, and it's going to tell you you need to work at hope. And your people are going to ask you, what are you hoping in? Okay? So let's move beyond small group and scripture, although it is very powerful and good. And let's actually, let's go to some scripture. Paul, Apostle Paul in Philippians. My small group's been going through Philippians, and we've been studying it. It's a good, it's a good book if you need some help. Um, Paul was imprisoned. We learned that from Dan's um, missionary journey maps that he showed us. He's um, in Philippians. He's in prison writing to the Philippian church. Paul suffered beatings, shipwrecks illness, and something we don't even know that he mentions, what it is, this thorn in the side. And um, he writes this in Philippians 3.14. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, that's us, who are mature, I always like when Paul kind of slides his thing, if you're mature, you should take these views of things too. And if you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Again, Paul's funny. Like, yeah, if you think differently than me, then God will show you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model... Keep your eyes on those who live as we do, because those that were around matters. For as I have told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is their destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on what? Earthly things. But our citizenship, guys, think about this. Paul is talking about politics here because he uses the word citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven, he says. And we eagerly await, there's that waiting word, that time word, a savior from there, our Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. 
and time is different there. If you guys watch The Good Place, don't get your theology from there, but it's kind of like Jeremy Bearmy, you know? Like time is not the same to God as it is to us. Time is eternal to God. He knows the beginning and the end. We just have a picture. And if you get scrolling on your computer, you really are starting to get really, really thinner on what you're thinking and feeling at that moment. You have to be careful with that. Because, why? Because we have to fight the cynicism that says, this is the earth and this is how it will always be. Because our citizenship is in heaven. As one of my small group members said, we have collectively um, practiced the muscle memory of grumpiness, of crabbiness. We will have to fight this. We'll have to peel away the layers of complexity that allowed us to get here as a culture because this is the culture that we created. So we take part in it, but we have to peel away those layers and fight the cynical part. And we'll have to do that as the church. We have to do that together. We have to resist cynicism every day, sometimes every hour. We have to press on toward the goal, as Paul said, the goal of heavenward, of being heavenward. But at the same time, not letting go in that which we have attained. And Lakeland, we've attained a lot in 25 years. We have served the Lord in a lot of ways. Do not let go of those ways. Do not easily forget those things. Do not easily forget those things and do not lose a spiritual imagination of what can be done through the church. Pressing on toward the goal will move us out of this myopic thinking and onto hope. And holding on to what we've already attained means we get to party. We get to celebrate. So how does this look? How does this look to hold on to hope and to press on toward the goal. It looks like celebration, guys. Celebration is the actual opposite of cynicism. So we're going to have, I said, I read the, the Romans verses in the call to worship about, you know, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces faith, and faith produces hope. Guys, fighting cynicism and hoping actually has that kind of cyclical thing then we become people that want to hope and then we become people that actually engage in change because you can't change anything if you don't hope for it right so I'm not telling you don't engage I'm telling you get engaged and keep changing keep hoping for that which is heavenward keep pressing on towards the goal but we got to celebrate you got to celebrate and affirm what has we've already attained so three ways I'm going, to t- I'm going to tell you guys to, to remember, to remember the past, press on to the goal. Remember that worship is important. Worship is a celebration of God. When we gather together in this room or online, doesn't really matter who, where you are, when we gather together as a collective body, we remember, we remember what God has done, and we give him back the praise and the glory which he deserves. Now, I know we think that it makes us feel better to sing, but I'm going to be honest with you. I've shown up to worship on some days, and that was the last thing I wanted to do. 
was sing. And after I did, I remembered the words were still true. So it's cyclical. You do it, and then it becomes true, and you remember that it was true in a different time and place. That's why it makes you feel better, is that it takes you, it attains what you've already, it helps you remember what you've attained, and it presses you forward. It helps us celebrate who God is, and it puts us back in our own role. We have a role to play in worship, and that's to praise God. We forget that. Especially when times are hard, we forget that. And Job, which remember, you know, remember Job, the guy that lost everything? This is what Job 38 says. And this is from the, this is God speaking. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know, he says to Job. Who stretched a measuring line across? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Guys, when God was creating the world, the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. And stars and angels don't know the future. They don't need certainty. They sit there and they say, look what God is doing now. Look next. Look forward. He's making something. He's doing something. Right? Praise God. Praise God when we notice that. That is hope. The stars are hoping. The angels are hoping. They don't know what they're hoping for. It's kind of like when you get married. You guys know when you got married that day. It was a great day. But you didn't really know what you were hoping for. You didn't know what you were going to get, right? You're hoping it's going to be the beginning of a great thing. Worship is mystical like this. It's mystical because it requires something we cannot see. It's not happening now. It's something that's in the future. It requires hope, and when you sing it, you remember things from the past that, that God has done. And then you feel it, and then you can sing it, and then it's so It's cyclical. It's woven into the fabric of our creation, and it celebrates a living God, a God that is still doing something really cool in this world. That celebrates hope. Okay, another um, way to celebrate is to celebrate generosity. And I know you guys think I'm going to talk about money, but we already did that because you guys are so generous, and I'm super grateful for that. Um, Generosity is not just about money. It's a direct act of hope. Here's why. Generosity, whether it's giving money, giving your time, giving of your things, says there's more where that came from. Right? You don't really give away your only last thing. You give away things that you know you have more of. Yeah, sure, take that paper clip. No big deal. I've got a lot of paper clips. Generosity fights cynicism because it's not actually about money. It's actually about what you think is going to happen in the future and who you think is taking care of you. Generosity is the knowledge that none of it is ours and that it all belongs to God. 
every single thing, even your next breath. Generosity in that way is mystical. I was going to say it's magical, but my husband would not like that uh, because he's an accountant. And uh, when I say it's mystical, it'll there'll be more where that come from, comes from. All the accountants groan because they have a spreadsheet, a ledger that says we know where it comes from and where it goes. Right? So there is that. But here's the deal. And Garrett's over there because he he handles the budget here and he knows how I spend. Um, both Garrett and my husband know that it's not ours. It's not our personal money. It's not Lakeland's money. It's God's money. And he gave it to us. And he says there's more where that came from. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Um, It's not magical, but it is mystical because generosity says, I trust God and I hope for a future that he is going to take care of us all. Corey Timboom, she's one of my favorite saints. She wrote The Hiding Place. If you guys haven't read it, it's a must read. I think there's a movie too. But um, she was part of the resistance of the Nazis in helping um, save many, many Christians from their demise. And Jewish people, I think. Um, She tells the story of her dad and how her dad, when they took a trip, they would go on a train ride and they and she would her dad would keep all the tickets for all the kids and then they, he would hand them out just when the train came. You guys have done that. You don't give your kids something that you think they're going to lose, right? Tickets to a game or whatever. So he hands it out. He says, "This is just like your heavenly Father. He knows what you need just when you need it." Isn't that a great story? God knows when we need the train ticket. He knows exactly what we need, and generosity tells us that we don't have to hoard it. We don't have to keep it all. Listen, if you've lived with a hoarder, you know a hoarder. I do, my mom was. It is something happening inside of you. It's spiritual. It's mystical. It's not something about um, pluses and minuses on the ledger. It's the state of your heart. And Lakeland, you know what that's like. And besides that number of the one life thing, which was totally amazingly generous, you guys come forward when it comes to meeting each other's needs. You are generous about that, whether that be a meal that someone needs or a ride or um, when, you guys, I'm, I'm in charge of doling out the benevolence. I've never been without on benevolence. When there's a need, it's been met. And there's still money left over. I'm telling you, I don't know how it happens. I don't know. And then I'll be like, Jamie, how'd that happen? She's like, well, someone gave. And I don't know who gives to it. But God gives to it, guys. God moves you, and you are obedient to it. That is hope. That is hope. Okay. The last little thing of celebration to fight cynicism and to get out of myopia and have an eternal perspective is to celebrate the humans in your life. This is kind of a small group talk, too, if you, have, if you don't have humans in your life. But it could be your family. So I would love to read Philippians, it, the rest of, well, it's verses 8 and 9 in chapter 4, not in 3. It says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, 
whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put that into practice. This is the Apostle Paul, remember, in prison. He says, the God and the God of all peace will be with you. As you come forward to this election week, you might want to think about that verse. So look, I want to share you. I want to share some fun things because I know COVID is really, really hard to celebrate the humans in your life. But I know you guys, and I know you guys do it, and you do it safely. So I'm really excited about that. But I just saw a few examples. And so this first picture I'm going to show you um, is Isadora Lee's birthday. Look at that picture, you guys. She turned seven last week, Alicia. The 25th of October. And she didn't have a birthday party because covid COVID ruins everything. And they put up a birthday tree in her yard so that people could just drop by gifts. So then they dropped by a gift and she'd see a gift. She'd get to go out there and, you guys, it's her birthday. Celebrate when people are born. We're so glad that Isadora was born. Yeah. If you got, I'm put, there's going to be a tree in my yard. My birthday is December 12th. Okay, my next picture, Libby and Wale. Libby's my assistant. I love how Wale calls her Elizabeth, because I've never called her that. Listen, what my niece had to cancel her wedding this year because of COVID. Guys, this is hard weddings. They found a way to do it, right? You can still get married. You can still celebrate love for each other. It can still happen. That's hope. Therein lies hope. Look how happy they look. That is a fun picture, you guys. He's super tall, Libby. <laughs> Plays basketball. You guys, that I didn't get to go because of all the people, but it makes my heart spring open with hope when I see that. Yeah? Okay, the next picture. This is the Holly Don family, you guys. So sweet. They're celebrating First Communion. What is a better celebration? And what is a better way to, to um, hold on to what we've attained than to remember the, our faith and to do it within our family, our church family and our family. And they're serving grandma and granddad. I used to work for Kim over there, taking communion from their grand, you know, their grand. We're teaching our children to celebrate what God has done, to remember what God has done for us in communion. The body and the, and the blood. Think about that. That's hope for the future. Those kiddos are going to know what that means. That's good stuff. I love um, N.T. Wright's commentary on Philippians. He says, um, especially in the citizens of heaven part, he says this. He says, as Christians, we come from another world to earth to colonize it. And I thought, colonizing is not a really great word to use these days, but if we're going to colonize anything, then Christians from heaven coming to earth 
to colonize it and make it more like heaven is the way to use that term. Yeah? We're here to stay, and we're here to make this earth look more like what Jesus wanted it to look like. We're not here just to wait for our future hope till we get there. We're here to bring that hope to to the world. While the world fights each other, let us celebrate each other and celebrate the story of God. Let us celebrate the table. Let us celebrate our children. Let us celebrate um, all the things that God has allowed us to do in this church. And let me tell you, the leaders, when, when Chris said that earlier, and the pastors are super thankful and grateful for you, we're proud of you. We're proud of how you guys are doing this year. We just are. Don't let any thought that the church has some disappointment in you. That's not the case. This is amazing. You guys are amazing. It's an honor to be part of this church. So real quick, um, we need to remember the times he saved us. Remember the times he's provided for us. Remember the collective times that we've celebrated at this church, one of my, and it doesn't have to be a big deal. We do Christmas really, really big, and I love every year. But my favorite Christmas was a really, really hard year here, guys, where we bought this building. We didn't have anywhere to celebrate Christmas Eve. And a bunch of guys went to those Christmas Eve lots and bought a bunch of scraggly old Charlie Brown trees. <laughs> and they put them around the perimeter and put lights on them. And we froze on Christmas Eve for hours. And it Still, it was a hard year, guys, for this church, but still one of my favorite memories when I think about Christmas. Celebration doesn't fix all our problems. It doesn't fix our pain. It's not going to get our jobs back. It's not going to pull people back that we've lost. But having the discipline to celebrate and to hope Reminds us that in the midst of all this loss, that there's still something that we cannot see, that we can look forward to, that will bring meaning and purpose to whatever is happening. It help us it helps us to stand firm in that what we've in that which we've already attained, and it helps us press forward toward the goal. So I'm putting up my Christmas tree today. Don't come at me. I'm doing it. We're going to be working on lights here. Because lights are a reminder of hope. That over 2,000 years ago, God provided for us in the form of a baby king. So put those lights up. Do what you got to do to celebrate that remembrance. Yeah? I hope you'll join me in that. In whatever shape, way, shape, or form, find a way to push back cynicism. Amen?